Okay, well, great to be with you. Um, let me begin by telling you a little bit of a story. When I was growing up in my house, uh, in our kitchen, my parents had stuck on the kitchen wall um, a piece of wood. It was about so high. And every so often, every few months, me and my brothers, as we were growing up, would stand against this piece of wood. And my mum would get a ruler and she would measure how tall we were. Did anybody else have this in their house? They have a piece of wood stuck somewhere on a wall and you'd measure how high. And typically what the thing is, is that we would want to be taller than we were last time, right? And so you'd do anything you could. You'd stretch your back. You'd kind of stand on your tips. You know, do anything to try and fool your mum into thinking you were actually bigger than you really were, right? We do the same thing with our kids. We have a piece of wood stuck on our wall and we measure them. The big competition right now is can they get taller than me? Uh, my eldest reckons he is, although I'm trying to question that. But we're having this kind of thing about who's the tallest. Or what everybody wants to grow when you're young, right? Everybody wants to grow. Now, you stop, typically, you stop growing when you're about 18. At least you stop growing up. I know you can still grow in other directions. But that's what tends to happen. But I think in all of us, there's a desire to want to keep growing internally, changing, developing, not to get stuck, not to be the same person when we were 40 as we were when we were 25 or 50 as we were when we were 30, we want to grow and develop, and I think that God puts us in that, in that, in us. And I think God, the Bible writes over our lives the word transformation. That's a biblical thing. And I want to talk today about what I believe is one of the most spiritually formative things you can do if you want to grow and change. And that's called serving people. Now, a few weeks ago, we were in a series called Reach. If you were here, it's really about sharing our faith. And we talked about one of those Sundays about the power of literally just serving people and how helping people can be an incredibly powerful thing in terms of people becoming aware that Jesus is real and living out the life of Jesus in front of the people that you work with and live with. But today I want to talk really down the same kind of like subject on the issue of serving people, but I want to talk about it in the sense of how important it is to serve within the family of God and how spiritually transformative that is. And I'm going to begin by reading from a passage in Philippians 3, where Paul basically talks about in this passage what he believes the most important thing is in his life as a Christian. And this is what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He said, basically, the most important thing in my whole life, the goal, is I want to know Jesus more. I want to be close to him. I want to walk with him. I want to change to be more like him. If you're a Christian here, and we, we will battle with this, but if you're a Christian, I want to say that these words are, should be the most important things for all of us. This is that knowing Jesus and getting close to Jesus and growing to be like Jesus is the most important thing you could do with your life. And if you're here saying, yeah, that's what I want to do, that's who I want to be, and that's who I want to become, I want to say that, spirit, that serving people, giving your life away, is one of the most spiritually formative things you can do 
with your life if you want to know Jesus more. If you want to grow to be more like Jesus, serve people is an incredibly powerful thing. Now, don't get me wrong. You can serve people in a kind of way that actually your heart is far away from God and actually you just become fairly bitter, resentful. So it's not, a, it's not an equation that we do A and B and we get C. But I believe that when we understand grace, we, under, we have a heart that's grateful to God and we're free to follow him, that when we serve people, when we make it about others rather than make it about us, God can do remarkable spiritual surgery on our hearts. So I want you to turn, if you've got a Bible, to a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Don't worry if you don't have it, it's going to come up on the screen. And we're going to talk about this whole issue of serving the family. Now, just before we get into it, just a couple of kind of qualifying comments I want to make. Often in churches, if you're used to church, this might be your first day, but if you're used to church, you will often hear people talking about serving. And okay, it's really important that you find what your gift and your passion is and you serve there. How many of us have ever heard people teach that? Yep, a few of us. I mean, I've, I've taught that. I agree with that. Mainly, I agree with that. So I think, you know, when you have a music, you want, you want gifted musicians serving the church, right? You don't want people who are unmusical or sub-musical on the platform playing or singing, right? That's not going to bless anybody. So we want people with gift and a passion playing in certain areas. However, it's not all that I believe about serving. Because if that's all you ever teach, or you narrow it serving down simply to, uh, it's just what I'm passionate about, what can happen is if you push that too far, serving becomes something, I'll only do what I like doing when I like doing it. And that doesn't appear to be what Jesus is teaching his disciples about serving. Imagine, for example, you have uh, a family. Okay, I've got four kids. I don't know if you've got kids, but imagine you did, Okay. And imagine in your family, you decide that one of the important things about a family is that everybody plays their part. We would all agree, I'm sure. Family, people play their part. So typically, it's mealtime. Someone has prepared a meal. There's pots and pans. There's things to clear up at the end of the mealtime. And you turn to one of your children and you say, okay, I need you to come and help wash up and clear up the kitchen. If that child was to turn to us and say, well, I would love to help but I really don't have the gift of washing up. God just hasn't given me the spiritual gift for cleaning up the kitchen. I've tried, and I'm just not very gifted at it. He really hasn't equipped me in that way. So I would love to help you, but I'm not spiritually equipped to clear up and wash up. I'm really gifted at sports, though, so I'm going to go and play basketball in the garden while you wash up, and I'm going to bless you that way. So imagine in a family you were to have that conversation with one of your children. What would you say? Well, I suspect what I would say to this child is I would say, I want to clarify the difference between a home and a hotel. Because there's a big difference. At a hotel, you just rock up, you eat, you leave, everybody else clears up, they sort out your bed, it's great. But that's not a home and that's not a family. God's after homes. Churches being homes, not hotels. So we do want people to serve in areas that they're gifted. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But also serving is a much broader thing. It's about giving our lives away. Often we serve in ways which are mundane and hidden. Often, very often, sacrificial. That's often what serving is. Jesus is after homes, not hotels. So I'm going to preach a message now. We're going to look at this passage. We're going to go through it pretty quick. And I want to say that for some of you today, this is not necessarily where you're at, okay? You might be new to us. You're welcome just to sit and hear the message. You don't have to do anything with this message other than just hopefully hear it. 
receive it. Because you're just here, getting used to us. That's fine. Or you might be here and part of this family, and you're going through a season where, for whatever reason, there's things going on in your life, and you just need a season of receiving. You just need to be here and be at church and not do anything for anyone. That is fine as well. We understand that, okay? Sometimes I say to people, just don't serve. Just have a season, okay? But this message is really geared towards those of us who call this church our home. We're in this family. We call it our home. But as of yet, you've never taken a step to get involved in this family in terms of serving other people for whatever reason. And I want to say unapologetically, hopefully very graciously, but unapologetically, I'm asking you today to step in and serve the family, okay? Not because you feel manipulated and guilty, but because hopefully you feel convinced, that's a big difference, that this is a good step. This is what the family should look like, and this is how I should operate. So that's my aim today, and that's my ask of you, and I want to ask you to be open to... Um, hearing God speak to you. So we're going to read this passage, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. This is quite a, this is a passage I've spoken out of a few times, um, and it says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all things, all of them, in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, the background to this is Paul, Paul loves this church, but there are some challenges in the church he's writing to. There are challenges in every church, by the way. But in this church, there's some issues, particularly around gifting and spiritual gifts. That's why he says right at the start of the chapter, which we didn't read, he says, now about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be misinformed or, or ignorant. I don't want you to misunderstand the issue of gifting because they were misunderstanding it. Seemingly in the church, there were people who thought because they had certain gifts and spiritual gifts, that they were somehow uh, more superior to other people. So there's like a kind of tier system going on in the church. And he says, no, 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 you're, you're not understanding the issue of gifts. So I want to clarify for you how things should work in the family. And verse 7 especially, which we're going to focus on, we're just going to take a few little words out of it, focuses particularly, it has a lot to say to us about family, about church, and about serving one another. And this is what it says. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, it struck me that I think that is quite a countercultural kind of statement. Okay? I know not all of us grew up in, in London, but we, all of us live here now. We all live in a Western secular kind of culture. And I think Western secular culture would not make that kind of statement about gifts and talents, either about where talents come from or what talents or who they are for, okay? So I thought to illustrate the point and for better fun, I would rewrite this verse in a more kind of secular cultural way, the kind of statement our culture would say about gifts and talents. So we're going to read them out. We're going to read the Bible version and then we're going to read the other version and you can read them with me, okay? First one. Let's read it outside. Now to each one... The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Okay, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, read this one with me. Now, to the special few who have amazing talents, all of their own making and all for their own benefit. Now, we live in the world, do we not, of the special few. 
the spiritual markers in our culture about what a significant life looks like, what a successful life looks like. It's all about notoriety. It's about fame. It's about profile. And it's about wealth. It's about being famous, even if you've never done anything to be famous about. Yeah? That's the amazing thing now, isn't it, with social media? You can be famous just because you're famous. You've never done anything. You're just famous. And that's why you're famous. Bizarre. Okay? But that's the world we live in. And those are the markers in our culture about what significance looks like. I read recently that they, they did a survey amongst 11,000 teenagers about what careers they aspired to. Okay? Now, the results are not their fault. The results are a product of the culture, what we pump towards people in terms of aspirations. Okay? 11,000 young people, of all the hundreds and thousands of careers they could pick and choose and say, I want to do all these things, over a third of them picked one of the same 10 careers. Over a third picked one of 10 careers. In other words, a really narrow bandwidth that made up only about 2% of the whole job market, apparently. And all 10 of those careers, guess what, were about profile, about being high level, about being in sports or being on a stage. What does that say about our culture? It says that we all aspire to be part of the special few in the top bracket. It's quite an intoxicating thing. We probably all feel like that to some degree. And we all naturally compare up. You notice this? We all tend to be aware of what we don't have rather than what we do have. They've done all sorts of studies on this, whether it's to do with IQ or attractiveness or giftedness. We all tend to compare up to people who are further ahead than us. They did this fascinating study at Harvard uh, called More is More Better. Okay? And they did this amazing thing where they said, right, we're going to survey everybody. And here's, we've got two options for you. First of all, this, would you rather earn $50,000 a year, but everybody else around you owes, earns $25,000? Or second option is we double your money, you earn $100,000 a year, but everybody else earns 200000 So would you rather earn fifty, but more than everybody else? Or double it to hundred, but you earn less than everybody else? Turn to the person next to you and tell them which one you would choose, okay? Right? <laughs> what would you choose? Okay, you can come back. It's a hard choice. Well, guess what? Okay, come back to me. Guess what happened at Harvard? Okay. Over half the students they surveyed said they would rather earn less. They'd rather earn 50,000 pounds because that meant they had more than everybody else. What does that tell you? Well, it tells us that everybody at Harvard is stupid. That's the first thing it tells you. What are they doing in this universe? Get them out. Get some clever people in. What it tells you is that we love, we compare up. So we'd rather be the top of the pile but have less rather than have more but have less than other people. We want to be in the top. We naturally compare up and we want to be in the top bracket. That's what it tells you. We naturally compare up. Now that can have an effect on you in two different ways. One is it can drive you to aspire. Aspirations are not wrong. Some aspirations are great, but it can drive you to want to be there. Okay? Often that is a very disappointing aspiration, by the way, just to say. 
Or, and this is the effect on a lot of us, we compare up, and so therefore we tend to downplay what we can do ourselves. We think, well, we don't, I don't have much to offer. I'm not very good at that. I'm not very beautiful. I can't, I'm not very clever. I cannot give, and that's often the impact it has on people. That kind of cultural drive. Now, into that culture, the Bible speaks, and this is what the Bible says. Now to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What's it saying? It's saying, no, 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 everyone is gifted. Everyone is gifted. The Bible paints a very different picture of church. It's not about a special few. Paul is saying it's not about a special few. It's not about some people being better than others. It's not about top people. It's not about top tables. It's not about top leaders. It's not about top churches or anything like that. It's about not special people, but a special people. Not special persons, but God is gathering a special people together. It's about a family And each one of the family, the Bible says, is gifted. Each one is given ability and talents. Did you know that the average human being has between 500 to 700 different skills and abilities? Did you know that the brain can store literally millions of facts? Did you know that your mind can handle 15,000 decisions a second, turn to the person next to you, don't say anything, and do they look like someone who has millions of facts in their brain? <laughs> they may not look like it, I know, don't tell them. But it's true. Loaded with potential, that's who you are. That's the picture the Bible paints of you. The culture says something else, but the Bible says, no, 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 each one has been given. And they have these talents, these abilities, these this potential has been given to you. They are gifts. The clue is in the, in, the, in the word. They are given to you. Now, our culture will teach us again that our talents and abilities are innate. They're of our own making. We love to like, celebrate what we call self-made people. People have gone from A to B and they said, oh, it's all of our own making. We like to take credit for all our own achievements. Do you know that statistically one of the most popular songs to be played at funerals is what? My Way, Frank Sinatra, that and oh, only always look on the bright side of life, apparently by Monty Python. But My Way, which fits much better with my point, is all about doing life by my own ability, getting where I wanted to go. It's all self-made. But the Bible says, now you're given gifts. Can I just say on a very human level, if you're here and you're successful financially, educationally, okay, career-wise... There is a very, very good chance. I know this isn't always true, but there's a very good chance that you are in a, you're, you've done successfully well because of the conditions and circumstances you were born into, of a pri- privileged and advantaged position. Now, that isn't always true, but often that can be true. But we like to take credit. Now, clearly, gifts and talents need to be developed and worked on. We do have a part to play. But the Bible is very clear. God gives you gifts. God gives you talents. He gives you abilities. In other words, they are not there to display how great you are or how great I am. In other words, I am fortunate rather than phenomenal if I have any gift. And then he goes on. He says, now, these are given to you not to display how great you are, but he says, but as a manifestation of the Spirit. Manifesting is not a word you often use, particularly outside churches. People don't tend to use that day by day. In the office tomorrow, how many of you are going to say, let me go over to the photocopier, manif- manifest some paper at the end of the photocopier. No one says things like that. 
It's a kind of biblical word. It literally means to show or display, to make visible. So gifts are given to you to display something, to display something of the Spirit. In other words, you are given gifts to make visible something of God who is invisible, to show through your gift, through your abilities, whatever they are, and the Bible has a number of lists of the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, about spiritual gifts. None of them are, like, exhaustive. They are examples of. So the gifts that God breathes, puts in your heart, breathes on them by His Spirit, brings them to life in you, those gifts are given to you to show and display something of God to people who can't see God. That's why they're given to you. To make visible, which means this. When you serve in our family and you're part of our family, when you open your home, some of you love to show hospitality. When you do that, you are displaying something of God's heart for people. When you're a musician or a creative and you, you do something creative on a platform or something like that, you are displaying something of God's creativity. When you teach children in our children's work, you're not filling a serving slot. You are displaying something of God's heart to want people to flourish and grow. When you welcome people in the door, you are showing something of God's heart that anyone can come. You are making God known, in other words. And these gifts, Paul says, are given to you and me, and he uses this phrase, for the common good. In other words, they are given to you, but they are not primarily for you. You get to benefit from them, that's true, but they are given to you for others, to encourage, to strengthen, to build up all these people around you. Now, this is primarily an issue of identity when it comes to what church is, okay? Historically, people tend to think, and we often slide back this way, that church is basically a building, a place I go to. And in old-style churches, years and years ago, centuries back, it would be a place I go to on a particular day where someone special at the front does something special to me. I attend, I get, and I leave. But that's not the biblical picture of church at all. The biblical picture of church is a family of believers amongst which God is dwelling and doing his work. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, this chapter, if you read on, Paul goes on to describe the church or the family as a body. He says, no, no, this is a body. And you're all members. That word member literally means not part of a membership. It means you're a limb or an organ. What it means is, just as in a physical body, you know, the, the, the feet need the kidneys and the hands need the heart and my mouth, when I preach, needs a brain, okay? Just like the body needs all the different parts to function and flourish well, so the body needs all the different parts and members and people in the body to function for the body to flourish. That's what he's saying. God gives you talents and gifts, and he lends them all to you, but they are not primarily for you. Now, I don't know if you've ever uh, seen a film called The Bucket List. Yeah, two guys who know that their lives are coming to an end, they decide to create a list of all the things they want to go and do, and all the places they want to go and see. It's become like a, a phrase now we use in culture, isn't it? Have you got a bucket list? What are the things you want to do, the places you want to go and see before you die? It's not a bad thing. It's quite a fun thing. 
Here are some of the top places, top things you can do around the world before you die. Okay, visit the pyramids. Go to the Galapagos Islands. Go to Peru and Manu, uh, Manchu Picu. Go to the Grand Canyon in the States. Go and visit the Taj Mahal in India. Climb and walk on the Great Wall of China. Swim in Lake Louise in Canada. See the Northern Lights. Walk through Yosemite in number 10. Try Morley's in Catford. Okay? And I just... But if you eat too much of that, that will be the last thing you do, just so you know. So only try that a few times. Find out if it is actually chicken. I don't know. Tastes quite good, though. Now, bucket lists are not bad things. They're quite fun things. But that's not fundamentally who God created you to be. It's not about consuming. It's primarily about God calling you to serve and use the gifts he has given you to serve the people around you. And when you don't do that in a family, the whole body suffers. Because the body needs every person to play their part. See, this isn't the recruitment drive. This is what the Bible teaches about what family is. The body needs all the members of the body to play their part. So the body suffers when we don't step in and play our part. But not just the body. I would say we suffer individually when we don't, when I don't step in and bring my contribution to the family. I suffer because I'm not becoming the person that God is calling me to be. I'm not operating in line with who he's made me to be. See, it's right back in the beginning when God creates Adam and Eve. Very quickly, God gives them responsibility. You're going to have dominion. You're going to have rule and reign. You're going to name the animals. In other words, God calls them to a purpose beyond themselves. Part of the way he made us is that you have a purpose beyond yourself. But when we make our lives and even our church experience all about ourselves... We are limiting what God can do in our hearts. So we suffer. Generally, one of two things can easily happen to us when we do that kind of thing. The first thing is this. When we make church something where I just, I don't step in, we just end up consuming church. We just come and we consume. Now, consuming to a degree is good. We've all got to consume. Hopefully you're receiving today. And like I said at the start, sometimes we'll go through seasons where all you need to do is come and be in church. That's important because you're going through a season where you just need to just be because you've been burnt or something's happened. That's fine. But when consuming becomes a lifestyle, in other words, it becomes the norm. Church is the place I go to, I consume, and I leave. That's a problem, I would say. Because that's you're not operating in line with how God's called the church to be or how he's called you to be. I don't know if you ever have, are fortunate enough to go and stay in a hotel. Very occasionally, with, with work, I, I go and stay in a, a hotel. Hotels are nice places to stay. People make your beds and things like that. It's really nice. But there is a problem with hotels. One of the big problems is the amount of food you can consume in a hotel. I don't know if anybody else has this problem. Maybe you're more controlled than me. I'm quite a self-controlled kind of person. But it's not good news. Lunches, I have bizarre concoctions of lunches. I have curry with chips and burgers and fish. Bizarre concoctions where you kind of go, oh, I want all of these things. Breakfast is the worst. You walk downstairs at breakfast, like, hmm, that's the biggest response I had all day. Yeah, you walk downstairs, and my mantra before I leave my room is, only porridge. (laughs) Only porridge today, Phil. And then you walk in and you see everything. People making omelets and Friday. It's like it's there. And you see people you know who have already consumed. And you think, porridge just becomes the starter. Now I'm going to eat everything that's here. I'm going to graze for days here. Literally. And it's just like, they have to roll me out of that place if I stay for a few days. 
Consuming is not good for you if that's all you do. And that's true spiritually. Honestly, if you come to church and all you ever do and you make church something you attend and you just consume, you will never grow in the ways that God could call you to grow. So consuming is a problem. But the other problem is this, is when we just consume and we don't contribute, we have a lot of time to start critiquing. Okay? And it's very easy to go from critiquing church to being a critic of church. Now, listen, critiquing is normal. Okay? We all do it. We can all see the things that don't work well or things that we would prefer to. I mean, some of you will critique me this today over lunch, won't you? You'll talk about a preacher. Be kind to me. Okay? You will critique. We all do it. I do it as part of our job. If you don't know what's wrong with our church, come to me. I can give you a bigger list than you have. I know all the things. One of the reasons the church is not perfect because I'm here and you are here. So we can all critique and find the things that could be better and true, they could be better. But there's a big difference between critiquing and becoming a critic. And it's an easy slide where we just see all the things that are wrong and we're negative about it and we become critical in our hearts. You don't, you don't want to live there. Genuinely, you don't. Sometimes we become critical because we had a really negative experience in church. I think God wants to bring some healing to that and get you out of that. That's not where you want to live. Your heart will shrink. I don't know if you remember but the Muppets. When I was growing up, they used to show the Muppets on Saturday afternoon. I quite like the Muppets. Two characters in particular who used to make me laugh. Do you remember these guys? Right. Statler and Waldorf, Okay. These guys, if you've never seen the Muppets, sat in the balcony. That was where they sat. They sat in the same chairs every day. Nothing wrong with sitting in the same chairs. For some of you, are feeling instantly a bit, oh, I'm sitting in the same chair. But they, they were never on the platform. They never took part. They never performed. They just sit there and point out what's wrong. They laugh about what's not very good. They moan, they heckle, they joke. That's all they do. It's very easy to be like a Statler and Waldorf in church. We're never on the platform. We're never getting involved. But we can point out what's not so good. That's, that's easy. You, you don't want to become like these guys. It's easy to slide into this in your heart. You don't want to become like that. You were made for so much more. And one of the great antidotes to a negative spirit or a critical heart is simply serving the needs of other people, becoming a contributor, solving the issue, in other words, you can see the issue. That's probably a gift. Solve the issue then. Become part of the solution. Welcome people. Serve kids. Serve coffee. Get here early. Leave late. You and I were called to live big lives. If you're a Christian here, you're called to live a big life. But often the pathway to leaving a big life is becoming appropriately small and serving people in very mundane, sacrificial ways. It's often the way it happens. Paul writes these words in Ephesians. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's who we are. His handiwork, created for doing good works. If you're already in our family and already serving our family, we want to say thank you. We so appreciate you doing that. Maybe for you today, the thing to think about or the step to consider is maybe thinking, maybe I could step up. I'm serving in a team. Maybe I could do a bit more. Maybe I could carry a bit more responsibility. Maybe you spent 
maybe a little bit too long comparing up and thinking, I can never do that. I can never carry that. I'm not very good at that. Well, I want to encourage you, if you're in a team, go and speak to whoever leads your team. If you've got a little bit of capacity and go, I'd like to help. I could, if I can help a bit more, I'm open to it. Can I help? And just tell them that. But for others of us today, if you come to this church and this is your family, and you know you're not in a season where you need just to receive, but actually you've just got used to sitting in, in the seat, I want to encourage you that today is a day to step in and say, yeah, okay, I'll play my part. I understand what family looks like. I understand and I will play my part. And can I just say, if you make that step today, and I want to encourage all of us to make that step, because that's how I think God makes us and makes you. If you make that step, can I encourage you to follow through on it? Don't sign up for anything or say yes to anything today that you're not going to say yes to on Wednesday, in other words. So follow through. As I close, I'm just going to read this passage from Galatians. Encouraging words for those of you particularly who are serving and serving and serving. It says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Amen.